Hi, this is Jim Labedo, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program tonight is Erica Anderson. She is a nationally known leadership coach and founder of Podius International, a consulting, coaching, and training firm focused uniquely on leader readiness. Her clients include senior executives at GE, NBC, Time Warner Cable, and others. She is the author of Growing Great Employees and Being Strategic, Plan for Success, Outthink Your Competitors, and Stay Ahead of Change. In addition to writing her books, you can read her blogs on Forbes.com. But it is her most recent book that brings Erica to our program tonight, Leading So Other People Will Follow. Erica, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. I don't often do this, but I'm going to read directly from your book uh, because I found this to be uh, in alignment with my beliefs, and I was, so I found it interesting that you started your book this way. So for our listeners, I'll start out as Erica started out on page one. We want good leaders. In fact, we crave good leaders. We're hungry for good, worthy, followable leaders in every part of our lives. And, Eric, I find that fascinating because I believe that's what we want, and yet there appears to be an absence of leadership today. It's the number one thing we crave, but it appears to be the biggest void which I find yeah. paradoxical. <laughs> so, yeah. so maybe that's why you wrote the book. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, I, I. so can I just kind of leap into that? Sure. As you know, having read the book, I feel like it's a deeply, deeply wired in need and hope in us. And as I started to really think deeply about this topic about 20 years ago, what really set me off thinking about this is it was a couple of years after I founded my company and I was starting to work with very senior people in organizations, I started to notice this really interesting, to me anyway, phenomenon that I came to call it in my head, the difference between appointed leaders and accepted leaders, that there were people who had the job, you know, they had the job and the title and their nameplate in the corner office, they were appointed, but I could see, I could observe that they weren't necessarily accepted as leaders, that people would you know, it wasn't like people were running screaming from the room, but they weren't really signing up. It was like, this is my boss, and I'll do what he tells me to or she tells me to. And then I noticed I was observing a meeting. There were about It was a company that I was working in. It was a meeting with about 35 quite senior people, the most senior people in this company, and the CEO was speaking. And people were listening kind of politely. But every once in a while, I noticed almost everyone in the room would turn and look at, and it happened to be the CFO, this other person, this other guy, they just kind of glance at him. And I realized that they were checking his reaction to what was being said. And then afterwards, I noticed, because now by this time I was fascinated, so I, I just kind of hung around for about an hour, and I noticed that one by ones and twos, people sort of drifted into his office to say, well, what did you think? And how, is that really what's happening? And what, they were treating this guy clearly as though he was the person to line up around and to sign up with and who somehow they were accepting us as a leader. And I just found this so fascinating. I started to think about it and kind of thinking through history, and I'm a big history buff, reading a lot of things. And I began the hypothesis that I formed. I said, okay, so if you think about it, 
until a couple of hundred years ago in our evolution as a race, who you allowed, who you chose to be your leader, to line up with, that, that was likely to be a life-and-death decision. You know, if you choose badly, you're more likely to starve or to be overrun by the invading whoever's. And so that proposed to me that this is deeply wired, and it's a deeply wired in longing that's connected to a survival mechanism, that if you choose your leaders well, you're more likely to live and to thrive and to reproduce. And if you choose them badly, you're less likely for that to happen. So it, it sent me down this path of this is deep wiring, so let's, let's try and crack the code on this. So we have a working definition. For our audience, separate the difference between being a leader and being a manager. It's a wonderful question and one that I answer a lot. And, and unfortunately, I feel like lately manager as a craft and as a pursuit has gotten sort of demonized and leadership has gotten sort of lionized. And I think they're both really important and that really good helpers of people in, who are in those positions do both. So I think of leaders, leadership as guiding and influencing people toward an outcome. So that's more about who you are and how you show up and how you sort of make them feel what you elicit in that. Managing, I think, of as a craft. It's a craft of using resources, people included, all the resources around you, in the best way possible to achieve an outcome. So it's much more kind of nuts and bolts, much more craft-based. And they're both important. They're just one is more more skill-based, more craft-based, more analytical, if you will. And leadership, I think, of as being more about who you are as a human being and what you're capable of eliciting in other people. So in your research and being fascinated why some people are able to lead and others aren't, you were able to identify some characteristics that these leaders shared. So share with our yeah. audience some of that research and what you found at the core of leadership. Well, how I got to that, as soon as I had formed in my head this hypothesis that this was somehow a survival mechanism, at the same time, it was about 20 years ago, I guess, 18 years ago, my kids, who are now grown up, were little, and I was reading them lots of stories, like you do when your kids are little. And I really tried to read them stories from all over the world. And I have to sort of add a tangential thing, which I am also fascinated by stories. Again, if you look back on our history as human beings, until a couple of hundred years ago, most people couldn't read or write. And stories are so much better way of translating and transferring important information than just facts. I mean, <laughs> telling kids a story about how the monsters will get you if you go out in the woods is much more compelling <laughs> than just, you know, the woods are dangerous for the following reasons, you know. So over the millennia of humankind's evolution, stories have become the preferred form of passing on important information about, you know, what to do, what not to do, how to stay alive, what makes them good and honorable human being. And so having this in my head, the stories, thinking of stories as sort of the DNA of preliterate societies, I was reading my kids all these stories, and I started to notice, as I was pondering this leader question, that there existed, and it looked to me, even as I started to look at this, pretty much across culture and across time, this form of story that I came to think of as a leader story. And we all know it. Every single one of us has read it or had it read to us or read it to our children. The story goes like this. <laughs> There's some kind of a quest. You know, some princess is usually involved or a dragon. You know, the point of the story is somebody has to complete this quest. And usually at the beginning of the story, there are three brothers. Sometimes it's three sisters, but usually it's three brothers. And the two oldest fail in predictable and spectacular ways. <laughs> and the youngest brother 
so nobody sort of believes it at the beginning, goes through a very specific set of trials and tribulations to either develop or or already have and demonstrate, but somehow to demonstrate these core characteristics. And I start to notice this pattern. And I thought, ooh, ooh, maybe this is the code. Maybe the point of this story is to say, don't let the person be the leader unless they show up like this, unless he, he or she ticks off these boxes. So then I started to read these stories more intentionally, and I read dozens and dozens of them from all over the world and boiled it down, you know, just extracted these. And really, it's amazing how consistent these stories are. So I extracted these six characteristics, and six characteristics ended up being farsighted, and I'll, I'll say them and then I'll explain them a little bit if that's okay, farsighted, passionate, courageous, wise, generous, and trustworthy. You're telling me Interest- you found those all from fairy tales then? <laughs> yes. And, I can, and, and as you know, having read the book, I created a frame story, which I created specifically so it demonstrates those characteristics, but it is not different than stories we've all read growing up. And these stories have such specific little themes where these characteristics are either demonstrated and good things happen or not demonstrated and bad things happen. And usually the hero in making has a chance to try it again. And if he does it right and demonstrates it, then he gets to go on to the next you know, scene. It's amazing how predictable it is in a way. So what these six mean, so farsighted, in this context, and then as I translate it into the modern day, I evolved it a little bit, but really it's very consistent. Farsighted means people want leaders who have a compelling and inclusive vision of the future, who say, this is where we could go. This is where we could all go together. Come and join me and help me accomplish this. That's what we mean by farsighted. Then they want leaders who are passionate. And passionate doesn't mean loud. It means deep. People want to look at their leaders and know that they can hold to a course, and not in a dogmatic, inflexible, doctrinaire kind of way, but in a committed way. They want leaders who can commit to a course, to a belief, to a course of action, and and stay with it. They want leaders who are courageous, and that means both what we think it means, you know, quick decisions, limited information, difficult circumstances. But more importantly, when we look to leaders, we want people who are willing to do things that are personally uncomfortable for them for the good of the enterprise, because that says to us that the good of the enterprise is more important to that person than their own personal comfort. So, so we need to see that. Wise means that they reflect on their own experience and grow and change based on what's happened and what they learned. And that's important to us because we want to know that if we're going to sign up with somebody to be our leader, that they're going to give important decisions, the thought and the consideration that they deserve and that they will make good decisions, that they have good critical thinking skills and judgment skills. They'll make good decisions based on their experience. And then generous. We, you know, in, in most situations, and especially in ancient situations, the leader really had control of the resources. And if he or she wasn't generous, then you were up the creek. So we want to look to leaders and know that they are generous with what they have. And this one, uh, to tangent just for a minute, it, it, when I say this to modern-day leaders, often, especially in the current economic climate, they say, well, you know, money's tight. But really, generosity is not primarily about money. It's about allocation of resources, which include power, authority, information, responsibility, faith. You know, people want generosity of spirit in their leaders because that indicates to them that the leader's not going to be stingy with whatever the resources are. And then finally, we want leaders who are trustworthy because we want to be able to rely on their word, that they're, they're going to tell us the truth and they're actually going to deliver on their promises. 
a couple questions centered around that. Okay. First of all, the difference between wisdom, knowledge, and experience. Knowledge is part of wisdom. And knowledge, interesting, is also part of trustworthy. We want to, because we go over to trustworthy for a minute, um, I love Stephen M. R. Covey's model of trust, and it really lines up with what we found as we've used this model for the last 15 years. It says when we trust people, we trust their character and we trust their confidence. And that's that's reflected in, in our model, too, that when we trust people, we trust that they we can they are people of integrity. They're honest. They'll tell us the truth. They're transparent. But we also trust that they're capable. They're actually capable of doing the leader job, and they will get the results that they've promised us. So part of knowledge lives over there. But... But wisdom is more being able to see patterns and draw proper conclusions from your experience, whether your experience is great or small. So, so if you think about it, I, I've been thinking a lot about young leaders lately, millennial leaders, and, and my kids are both my son has a restaurant, he's 24, you know, they're really out there doing it. And what I notice is that people can be wise with very little experience, and people can be unwise with a lot of experience. That experience is not the determiner of wisdom. It's what you do, how you relate to your experience. So some people, as you know, we've all experienced, old people, people my age, you know, make the same mistake over and over and over again. They're, they're not wise relative to their own experience. And then there are some young people who will have one experience, and it will be such a a transformative thing for them because they really reflect upon it and and make proper decisions based on it. They say, this happened because I did X, therefore next time I should moderate that and do Y or X plus or whatever. You, You know what I mean? Absolutely. Erica, when you listen to those characteristics, it's a pretty simple concept to get. In fact, you'd say, well, those are simple, yet at the same time, they must be difficult to execute on or else we'd have more leaders. So in your opinion, why are they so difficult to execute on? Part of it is, and I think this is one of the reasons, back to your original question, why there is such a, you know, we all want good leaders. We all, uh, uh, you know, people who are leaders, for the most part, I think, aspire to be good leaders. Many of us think we're good leaders. But it is the, it is the difference between knowing and doing. You know, a friend of mine used to call it between, the difference between espoused theory and theory in action. You know, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, and, and, you know, it's interesting, Jim, every single time over the last 15 years that I've said those six words to people, they go, oh, of course, yes, yeah, definitely, I want my leaders to be like that. But then actually translating it into the day-to-day is, is critical. And, and I've talked about this a lot recently, obviously, because I've been doing interviews about the book since it just came out, but the, the things that I think are, are needed to make this real in your life the first one, and by far in my mind the most important, is to have an accurate self-awareness. If you don't actually know where you're starting out on these six things, you're you're really up the creek. Because I, I, I mean, I won't, you know, obviously I won't say this is, but recently I was I spent about an hour with a guy who is absolutely convinced that he is a great leader, great leader, top notch, one of the best. No one around him believes that, <laughs> and people are very tentative in their followership of him, but he cannot be swayed from that opinion. He, he just has a deeply inaccurate self-awareness, and if, you can't, if you're not accurate about how you're seen by other people and whether or not other, other people see you as followable, then it's kind of like you're saying, well, I need to get to New York. I'm in Philadelphia when you're actually in 
Afghanistan, you're going to have a really hard time getting to New York, you know. That ocean is going to be a big shock. So, so as, a, as a leader, how right. do you get a, get a litmus test um, quickly on where you're at with these uh, characteristics? Well, one of the things we did, we, as I said, we've been using this model for about 15 years, and we had developed uh, an informal uh, self-assessment, which it, you'll, you see reflected in the book. We have, you know, we, we broke down the six characteristics and found five simple, really simple behavioral indicators for each one to say, okay, are you actually doing these five things? And if, if your self-awareness is pretty accurate, you can, you can assess against those. But we realized that we actually needed a way for people to kind of simply invite accurate assessments. So we uh, created and validated a multi-rater assessment. And for anyone who buys the book and reads it, you can, you, you, you can get into an online free self-assessment. But then if you want to, you can also upgrade at a charge, but you can upgrade to this multi-rater assessment. And it's a process online if you just invite six or eight people who are in a follower position to you. To And it's a pretty... You can't, I mean, I think we create it pretty well, so you can't kind of game it. You People answer pretty accurately, and then you get a report that says, here's how you're seen. We have varying degrees of self-awareness, and I don't think any of us are entirely accurate in our self-awareness, so it's good to get, uh, you know, other people's point of view about how, you, how you're showing up. Well, you know, all bases of growth, you know, start with the truth. So if you know where you're Absolutely. at, you can go from there. And when listening to you talk about this, the question begs itself is, can I learn these things? Yeah, yes. And that, and I'm happy to say that the answer is primarily yes. I mean, that's a question that I get asked every single time I do an interview about this book. Somebody says some version of, you know, are leaders born or made? And it's interesting to me because I think mostly the interviewers think they know the answer and they think that the answer is leaders are born and you're kind of, it's kind of too bad, you know, it's congenital. (laughs) And what I've found is that like most other things, leadership capability exists along a bell curve. I mean, I've been working with leaders and my colleagues and I have been working with leaders for over 20 years. Lots of different, you know, all people all the way from their very first leader job to CEOs of major corporations. And what I've observed is that it is like a bell curve. There are there's 10 or 15 percent of the leader population who they're just naturally skilled. They are born. It's like they just showed up and they have, for whatever reason, they're great on this stuff. And and you just sort of get out of their way and support them, and they'll keep getting better and better. And then down at the other end of the bell curve, there are 10 or 15 percent of, of of people in leader jobs who shouldn't be in them. They're just not wired for that. They either don't have the innate wiring or they don't have the will, they don't care, they don't want to do it, and you, they should just find something else to do, you know. But then most of us live in that big middle hump of the bell curve, and we can be helped to get much better. And what my experience shows me over those last 20 years is that if you are even an okay leader, not maybe even, you know, on the bottom half of that bell curve, you're not that great of a leader, but you are willing to become accurately self-aware and, and this is the second thing, you are willing to go through the discomfort of growth. You know, it is uncomfortable to get better at something. I mean, anybody who, for instance, has learned to drive a stick shift, <laughs> the first time you are on a hill with somebody behind you, <laughs> that's an uncomfortable moment, you know, or when you're trying to learn how to, you know, serve a tennis ball. I mean, it's uncomfortable to be, for an adult, to be in that situation of, I don't know how to do this, I feel clunky, I'm going to make a mistake. If you're willing to 
look at yourself accurately and then be in that uncomfortable situation of being on the front edge of the learning curve, you can get to be a very good leader. I've seen that over and over again. And I venture to say that people who are listening to the program have already envisioned in their mind already who they believe a great leader has been in their life. Yes. Is it that, safe that's to... That's another thing I've noticed is that when one of the things I, when I first started sort of socializing this model with people about 15 years ago, that's immediately where they went. They would go, the first place people, most people go is, wow, yeah, the, they... They kind of check this model against the best leader they've known, because we almost all of us have in our minds the best leader we've known. And they go, yeah, he or she was really, yeah, farsighted, Pastor. And far more often than not, people go, yeah, the person that I think of as my best leader had five or six of these attributes. And then they go to themselves, and they say, wow, how do I line up? And then if they're leaders of people, they go to their people. Wow, so and so's having a hard time. Maybe it's because she's not very courageous and you know, I don't think she's that wise. <laughs> you know. They start to employ it, which which is great. And probably those people that we think of as being those great leaders in our lives did not start out fully developed as leaders. In other words, exactly. it's something they grew into over time. Absolutely. And in fact, you know, in, in the book, for those of you who haven't read it yet, for each of the six characteristics, I had this wonderful opportunity to select two leaders for each of the six attributes, people that I've worked with over the years who are very senior people in organizations. And I got their okay to actually use their names in real situations that they're in, which I wanted to make it real, you know, for everyone. And at least a couple of these leaders, the quality that they ended up, that I ended up proposing them in the book as this person is an exemplar of this, they're unusually good at it. When I first started working with them, it was a growth area for them. They weren't great at it, but they really worked on it and got great. Erica, it's been my experience when you're presenting to a group, the quietest person in the room is the leader. And I always thought it was because they're listening and taking in all the information to formulate an opinion. And I know it's not covered in your characteristics, but listening must be important. Where does that fit in in being a good leader? Well, it's wonderful that you would ask that. I I believe that listening is is the foundation of all success in pretty much any endeavor, as a business person, as a leader, as a manager, as a parent, as a spouse. In fact, I'm such a deep believer in the power of true listening that the whole first chapter of my first book, Grand Grand Employees, is about listening. It's about skill listening. And I kind of reprised it in Leading So People Will Follow. There's a bonus section at the end of the book about listening and managing your self-talk because I think they're absolutely core. And they're core to all six of these skills. For instance, uh, just start at the beginning, farsighted. So you can certainly come up with a, a vision without listening. You can just you know, here's what I think should happen. And if one, one of the behavioral indicators of farsightedness is are able to see possible, feasible futures for the business, you can do that on your own. But to articulate it in a compelling and inclusive way, that really is predicated upon your ability to listen. Because how are you going to, you know, share your vision, articulate your vision in a compelling way if you don't know what's compelling for the people around you, Right. So, and, and it runs through every one of the six, you know, that how can you be wise unless you are really a deeply curious observer of yourself and other people? You really ask questions to find out why they understand, how, what did they learn from this situation? So I, listening is a thread through all of this as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so now, big... I thought you were, but I have to say, I thought you were going a whole different direction. I thought what you were intending to say, because my mind was running ahead of your words, was that leaders, that CEOs, 
and I think this is often true, have a hard time being in that uncomfortable situation of not knowing. What, what I've noticed when I work with CEOs is if they're in a situation where they get to opine about stuff, they'll opine until the cows come home. But when they're in a situation where it's new information and they don't know about it, they, they tend not to. I mean, the best CEOs, the ones that I love working with, are the ones that say, really? Whoa, tell me more about that. I don't know anything about that. But they're, they're rare. So, Erica, the best leader you've personally known? Oh, it would be really hard to pick one. I understand. So I'm going really to ask hard. you, to, I'm going to narrow it down. So um, either pick one in your personal life or pick one in your professional life. So hard, but I'll just randomly pick one. The, the, sure. the person that certainly is one of the best leaders I've ever known is the first person that I profile in my book, this woman, Bonnie Hammer. And she's one of the senior executives of NBC Universal. She runs a big chunk of their cable portfolio. She runs, she oversees um, USA, Sci-Fi, E, um, G4, Chiller, uh, Reality Studio, the cable, you know, script studio. Big, huge portfolio. Many, you know, billions on business. And she is, she's such a wonderful leader. She definitely has all six of these attributes in good measure, and people just love working for her and sometimes it's not comfortable working for her because she has very high standards and she's she's courageous and straightforward about sharing them with people but people just feel respected supported they are given such an appropriate level of autonomy she has all these things she she creates compelling and inclusive vision she's deeply passionate without being dogmatic she's very courageous especially personally you know often going beyond her own limitations and has the courage. She's willing to apologize, which I think is a huge part of courage. Very wise, really deeply generous, especially in terms of her belief in people and just rock rib trustworthy. She's just, she has them all. There appears to be a void of leadership today. And why do you think that is? I think it is a noble endeavor and it requires self-discipline and it requires what we've been talking about, that you need to be self-aware and you need to go through the discomfort of growth. You need to be willing to actually do it. Leadership is not, you know, hey, I'll show up at 8 and have it done by 9. It really requires discipline to become discipline and focus and will to become an excellent leader. And so that's answer number one. I you know, it, it, it's not something you can do. There's no some, such such thing as one minute leadership. You know, <laughs> but but the other thing is that I think we as a culture have a lot of deep misconceptions about what true leadership is that send us in the wrong direction. And and there are two specifically. One is you know, and it's one of the reasons why I thought it would be useful to the public dialogue for me to publish this book. It is rare that we look at leadership from the point of view of the followers. I mean. Leaders are only leaders if people are following them. And too often, we look at leaders in terms of exterior criteria that may be somewhat important, but really don't have anything to do with the person's ability to build followership. Like, for instance, quite often, very senior people get hired based on supposed intelligence, which is usually measured by how articulate they are and where they went to school, and their supposed fitness for the job, which is about resume and the jobs that they've had. And I'm sure you've seen it because I've seen it over and over again. You can hire a really smart person who has great curriculum vitae who could not lead their way out of a paper bag. They don't, people don't coalesce around them. People don't trust them. People don't line up with them. 
you know, so I think part of it is we're looking at the wrong thing. Because I noticed in your characteristics is not charismatic. Yes. And one of my favorite lines of Peter Drucker, he, Peter Drucker said, that one of the few things I've seen in common with the best leaders that I've known is that none of them are charismatic. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I don't quite agree with that. I mean, some of the people in my book are quite charismatic, but I don't, I don't think that translates. It's, it may be uh, a good first impression, and you may feel energized or attracted to somebody who has charisma, by which people usually mean a big personality and um, gregariousness. But I don't think it has staying power. I don't think you're not going to throw in your lot permanently with somebody and put your professional fate gladly in their hands just because they're charismatic. So as Erica looks out in the world today, who do you see as true leaders? Well, one person that I've always suspected is a true leader, and I don't really have enough data about him and I don't know for sure, but it's Colin Powell. I've always, but the way his, the way people who have worked with him and for him in the military talk about him, it seems to me that he is a truly fallible leader. And the, and the way he shows up, just the way he is when he speaks, and and he's a great example because I don't, I don't think anybody would say Colin Powell is charismatic in that traditional sense. He's a very quiet man, you know. He seems very thoughtful and certainly not loud. But um, I, I suspect he's a very, very good leader. You're with an executive today. The one mm-hmm. piece of advice you're giving them on leadership is what? Really get somehow figure out where you're starting from. If if you're not capable of being really a fair witness to yourself, get some get some feedback. You know, t- get some people who will tell you the truth, or you know, take our accepted leader assessment. Somehow figure out where you're really starting from because that is that's the doorway in until you really know how you're showing up and how people who you hope are your followers actually feel about you and see you as a leader, you know, you're, you're, as I said, you're up the creek. You can't really do anything unless you know where you're starting from. Is there one question? And then the second thing would be listen. But you can never go wrong by listening. Is there one question I should have asked you I haven't asked you tonight? I can't. Actually, think of it. I mean, there are millions, but you've asked me such great questions. I feel like we've covered the territory really well. So if people wanted to learn more about your book, Leading So People Will Follow, Erica, where would they go? There are a couple of ways they could go. They can always buy the book, which is available anywhere, and, of course, I hope they do. I also have a website, ericaanderson.com, and it's spelled oddly or unusually, E-R-I-K-A and then A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N. And I blog at Forbes under my name, spelled the same way. And they can also go to my company website, which is proteus-international.com. Erica, thanks for being on the program. Oh, thank you so much. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.